Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. Hello, Tease Me listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode. This month is kind of special. We're talking about college debt, or actually how to go to college and not acquire any debt. And so maybe you've already went to school, or maybe you're thinking of going back, or maybe this is your first time thinking about pursuing a college degree, whether it be associates, bachelor's, master's, MBA, a law degree, whatever it is. Our guest this month is going to tell us a little bit about how do you not acquire any debt? And this is special to me because the intersection of business, life, and golf. Why the intersection? Well, if you've been paying attention, I needed one credit to graduate from college, and so I took golf. And Nash and I met at a golf tournament. Get it? The intersection. And now we're getting ready to talk business. I can speak firsthand and say, I wish I knew then what I know now about college and debt. The kind of debt I acquired, I was a walking car. Like literally, I could have had a car two times over for the amount of debt that I acquired. And I'm finally willing to admit and go on record and say, my education cost me a fully loaded Range Rover. Today's prices. Maybe all of that debt was worth it because I got to learn to play golf and here I am with you now. It's also very special to me because right now we're mourning the loss of Bismarcky. And while this isn't a news segment, it is relevant or culturally relevant for me because I think I might have went to CW Post because Bismarcky shot the Just a Friend video there. Don't tell my mother, don't tell my family. But I was definitely enamored by the reputation of CW Post parties. So today's episode is to help you do better, help you share the knowledge and share the information that people like me didn't have growing up. You can do better because now you know better and you can share this information with your children, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, family, your grandchildren. And if you're the person going back to school, it's just more food for thought. So let me introduce you to today's guest. Our guest today is Nash Warfield. He is a native of Plainfield, New Jersey. Nash attended Plainfield High School, where he discovered his passion for public speaking as a member of the debate team. Nash attended Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland on a full academic scholarship, where he graduated with honors. Nash was named valedictorian and number one in his business school class. He would later receive a master's degree in speech communication from New York University, where he also graduated first in his class. As a professional motivational speaker and trainer for over 20 years, Nash has traveled the country teaching high school and college students the principles of academic and life success. His dynamic, high-energy presentations have reached nearly 1 million students. Nash is the author of the 2019 Amazon number one best-selling book, Say Yes to College, Say No to College Debt, The Smart Family's Guide to Paying for College Without Losing Your Savings, Sanity, or Soul. Nash is the CEO of the newly formed college consulting firm, Zero Debt College Planners, where he coaches parents on how to get into and pay for college with zero debt. Okay, hello, Tease Me listeners. I am excited today because we have Nash Warfield. And as you heard in the bio, he is here trying to transform the lives of the young adults that are entering college. So Nash, tell us, like, how did you even get into this work? Sure. Um... Uh, well, first of all, LD, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be on. So I um, got my background. I'm from Plainfield, New Jersey. And, you know, you heard in the bio, like I started doing, you know, public speaking as, as on the debate team. 
And um, when I, I graduated from Morgan State, and basically I always loved talking, right? Talking was always just, you know, I used to be the kid that got in trouble for, you know, for talking too much, moving all around the class. So I knew communication would always be the thing that, you know, I, I loved doing, um, that I would end up doing. And so um, when I, so I used to do like little speeches at stuff at, you know, at elementary schools, you know, high school, you know, or middle schools on how to be successful. And they, you know, they don't know what you're talking about. So they, 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 just, they just clap for you, right? So, um, so then I really wanted to, you know, get into the high school market. So actually in 2000, 2000, I started working for an organization called Making It Count Programs. And they actually sent me out to schools all across the country to give presentations to students. Um, it was like to freshmen on, you know, how to, you know, the importance of your freshman year in high school and how to be successful in high school. And it was to juniors on how to, you know, find a college, how to get into college, how to pay for college and seniors, you know, on how to be successful in college or work, whatever you choose to do. So I mean, I literally just crisscrossed the country, you know, speaking to students on how to be successful. And that's like really where just my passion for that group for, you know, high school students really came about because it really is, I mean, you know, you think about when we were in high school, right? It really is just that, you know, it's that, uh, it's those definitive years, right? Uh, and those, those choices you make in those years really determine where you're gonna be 10, 15, 20 years from now. So I feel like if I could have, you know, some type of impact, you know, in that that market or in that group, um, then it would be a you know, phenomenal thing. So yeah, so that's kind of how I started uh, my speaking career. So no, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing. And just out of curiosity, what were you seeing in these communities? Like what were the needs of the students? What were you, what was resonating with you? Sure, so, you know, obviously, you know, I spoke at, all different school systems, right? So I spoke at the very, you know, affluent, predominantly white districts to, you know, the urban districts, you know, Newark, Philly, you know, Baltimore, you know, all around the country. And clearly those needs are very different, right? So, you know, so when you're talking to, you know, to our kids and our communities, you know, it literally is just about, look, graduate from high school, right? Like the importance of, you know, getting out of high school and having that degree, you know, is going to at least give you access and opportunity to do some of the things that you want to do, even if you don't end up going to college, just, you know, no matter what you do, graduate from high school, right, as, as your first, as your first step. And in other communities, it's like, okay, well, which college are you going to go to? Like, are you going to, you know, you're going to Drexel or you're going to Harvard? Okay, okay, which one are you going to be successful at or, or what, what, you know, what, what sense does it make of where to go? So yeah, so it's just, um, you know, the energy has to be different, right? Because in our schools, like you might be speaking to, you know, 700 kids in an auditorium and in other schools, it's like, you know, I'm just talking to 20 kids in the library, you know? So just, I mean, so you really see the, just the, one, the frustration of just how divided we are as a country educationally and the access that, you know, that our kids have to, you know, opportunities versus others. And so you really have to tailor your message sometimes. And the message is fundamentally the same, but there are certain things you really have to hit home more on when it comes to, you know, you know, black and brown children about the importance of education and making the right choices, you know, throughout school and then and then beyond. Wow. So one of the things that I was um, actually personally experiencing when I was getting ready to go to college, not having transparency on what we could afford, or even like knowing how to fill out the financial aid forms. I remember going to college and filling out all the forms for my family. Like no sure. one knew how to fill these things out. Yep. And as yep. I think about 
preparing for school. There was no real preparation for that. So if you're talking to the parents or even the kids that might be listening, I don't think I really have kids listening, but if you're speaking <laughs> to the parents or even the grandparents at this point, because like right. some of my friends are grandparents, like, right, right, right. That's great. Wow. <laughs> wild. Right, um, obviously right. I'm telling my agent in, in an informal <laughs> way, but if you were talking to them and just giving them advice as they're thinking about getting their kids out there, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about like right now? Sure. Well, you know, and, and that really speaks to, you know, why, why I wrote the book, um, you know, say yes to college, say no to college debt, um, because I just found that, you know, you know, educate, you know, it's really education has become an oxymoron in this country or, you know, being smart about education has become an oxymoron, you know, because, you know, one thing to talk about is that, you know, as a country, we are $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. It was trillion. That's like a thousand billion. <laughs> it's crazy. And a lot of it is because, of making the wrong choice about where to go to college, right? That's the main issue about, um, you know, loans and why loans exist is because students choose the wrong school. So a lot of times, you know, especially in our communities, it's like, oh, my baby's graduating, right? And it's just like this amazing thing. And it's like, okay, wherever they want to go is fine. Or wherever the kid wants to go, you know, it's like, all right, we'll just make it happen. We'll just find a way to make it happen. And that's one of the worst things you can do because you really do have to consider, okay, What's the long-term implication of, you know, this education? And like, all right, if I'm looking at two schools, you know, I'm looking at an in-state school versus a private school. One is 15000 a year. One is 60000 a year. Explain to me why it makes sense to pay four times as much, you know, for the same exact degree when you're not going to make four times as much income with a degree from the $60,000 school was a degree from the $15,000 school, right? But that's what, those are the considerations that don't happen because it's just like, all right, just get them into college and we'll, we'll figure out any way, you know? So it's not about where you get accepted. It truly is about, you know, where, you know, financially, what can your family afford? You know, how do you make choices and, and have tough conversations around what your family can afford? And, and so that's what I try to talk to parents about is that you got to talk to your, you know, your students early. My mom, you know, she said to me when I was a freshman, she's like, look, I don't have money for you to go to school. So unless you get a full scholarship, you know, you 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 straight up going to Union County College, right? Which is good in Plainfield, you know, New Jersey, it's Union County, New Jersey. So I was like, okay. So I knew from there, you know, I needed to, to do what I need to do to get a scholarship to college. And a lot of it was about, you know, your grades. She said, you know, she said, Nash, don't think your grades is grades. Think your grades is dollars. Because the better your grades are, the more money you're going to get for college. And it was prophetic because, I, you know, I got a full academic scholarship to Morgan. So I let my grades pay for my education, right? And so... So that's the thing you have to parents and grandparents have to talk to their, their, their kids about is like, look, one, your grades you know, will give you access you know, to having this, this money. But also, even with that, there's still a limited amount of money that we can afford for this process. And we need to stick to that you know, and, and have those conversations as soon as possible. So that's a hard one, because in a lot of families and households, we just make it enough. We make yep. it work. We, yep. Maybe somebody is robbing Peter to pay Paul. There yep. are all of these different perspectives around not really planning financially anyway. So right. if you're talking to like a child that's in a household or you're even in a household, you know personally that you're not even good with your own finances. So how mm -hmm. can you do long-term planning? Right. So some of these kids are coming from a different place. If you were going to take a step back and say, maybe they don't have the grades, but they have the ability to apply. Mm -hmm. How would you direct like families that know that their kids are just like, they're adequate students. Maybe right. they're like a strong B or maybe not even a strong B, but sure. you know that they want to go to college. Yeah. What kind of advice are you giving them? So I'm going to say, you know, it's going to be an in-state school, right? It's going to be an in-state school. Cause I mean, you think about, again, the differences between the cost, 
you know, of education, right? And, and that's the way you have to think about education. It's an investment, you know, and there has to be a return on investment. So I always say, just like you wouldn't go to a car lot and buy a $100,000 car you can't afford, right? Don't go to a $100,000 college that you can't afford, right? You have to go where it's affordable. So, you know, if you're looking at, um, again, you know, the state schools in New York, right? I mean, again, if you're an in-state resident, and that's going to run you, you know, maybe 10, 12,000 a year for tuition, you know, versus, you know, an NYU or versus, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, I mean, whatever private school, you know, you, um, you know, you can, you can name that's it. That's in that, that, that state, you know, it's, or, or going out of state, right. Cause just crossing state lines, you know, makes the tuition go up by three times. You know, I'm going to say, Hey, look, you know, we have to consider that. Yes, you are a good student, but if the, if you're not going to qualify for academic scholarships, then it's about an in-state school for you, right? And that, that's because the most important thing is coming out of college debt-free. Because what they don't see is, again, they think about, all right, we're going to get them through that first year. Like you said, you try and make it enough. They don't see the kid that is 25 years old and, you know, or the, the young woman that wants to, you know, or 27, she's, she's newly married, she has a new baby, she wants to stay home with her, with her kid, but she can't because she's got $80,000 in student loans. So she's got to keep working. Or the young man who, you know, who gets a, uh, you know, who has a, a, a passion to go into the mission field, right? He wants to do God's work, but he can't because he's got $100,000 from a private Christian college, you know, in student loans that he went to, and it just reduces your choices, right? And that's the thing that they're not thinking about when they're 18, about what kind of choices they're going to have on the other side. So the, 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 the tough conversation has to be, look, you know, just like anything, you know, there isn't this, this infinite set of resources. Like, you know, I can't buy you the $300 pair of Jordans that you want because, you know, <laughs> we got we to gotta buy sneakers from, from XYZ. I can't afford to send you to the $30,000 college because we only have money for XYZ. And so, you know, but for some reason, like I said, we've become stupid about education in this country where it's like, okay, if it's college, it just all, all bets go out the window, right? And, and what I talk about is um, it's, it's, it's called parent guilt. This is the biggest reason why there's this massive like student loan crisis. So I always say to parents, it's your fault. You know, it's not the kid's fault. It's your fault. So here's what happens, right? So you had this baby 17 years ago. You know, you brought him home from the from the, the hospital, a little bundle of joy. You were all excited. And you knew this day was coming, right? You knew 17 years from now, you're gonna have to pay for education. But what were you doing as a parent? You were putting food on the table, you putting clothes on their back, you putting a roof over their head. You, you're being a parent. And so then they get to, you know, these college fairs. Where it's like 60, you know, colleges in, 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 a, in a gymnasium, and the you know, kids are all excited. Oh my God, oh my God, I want to go here, I want to go here. And you know, and I just see parents walk around with their head just hung down, like, oh my God, like, what am I gonna do now? And they say the, I say the five most dangerous words that you can say to your child, okay, honey, whatever you want, right? And, and, and that turns into fifty thousand dollars in student loans, fifty thousand dollars in parent loans, right? And it becomes a nightmare just because of that guilt that they haven't saved you know, for their education. They didn't put it, they didn't do the ESA at when they were two years old. They didn't do the, the 529 plan when they were three years old and start, you know, saving that process because they were just trying to make life work. And it's, you know, it, it's no fault of their own because, you know, maybe they, again, they didn't have the, the access or the knowledge, but at the end of the day, you still have to have, you still have to be a parent and make those tough calls to say, hey, look, we can't afford this, but our, our goal is to get you through college and, you know, and get you educated, you know? And, and it's really especially tough on our side because, you know, again, I went to a historically black college, you know, and, and I love that experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And so many, you know, I do a lot of speaking at, um, there's a historically black college fair that happens every year. And I do a lot of speaking for that. And they all want to go to HBCUs. But I'm like, look, you know, you're in New York, New Jersey, all of those schools are out of state, 
right? You know, you know, Morgan State's in Baltimore, Howard's in DC, or North Carolina A&T, or Florida A&M. You got to go out of state to those schools, which means that it's going to be much more expensive. So, you know, that might not be, you know, the best, you know, choice for you. So, it really that's it, a it, hard it, one. It is. It is. It's There's hard. No- <laughs> All right, but you know. You're yeah. talking to the same parents that might have made it enough to get the Jordans or the same mm-hmm. perception of like, I'm going to get this $100,000 car and right. drive it around my neighborhood all seven blocks. Right. And, I might not, and my car might cost more than my house. Right. So when you have that kind of like perception and reality, what are some of the things that, you know, if there are already bad practice, not, I'm not going to say, well, they are bad practices, but there are poor financial choices being made in a household. How, yeah. how, how is it possible to help that parent transform and understand the implications that you're referring to? So I think, I think they have to make it about themselves as well, because, you know, one thing about college is that, you know, the stats say that only 50% of students, you know, who go to four-year colleges graduate, right? So literally, you know, a hundred will start, only 50 actually graduate. But the problem is if you take out student loans and you don't finish, you don't have the degree, but guess what you still got? You still got the student loans, right? So, I mean, so I can, I mean, I, I can, you know, I can just cite countless examples of stories, nightmare stories that I've heard of kids, you know, $70,000 in student loan debt and, and after, after two years of school and didn't finish, right? And so it's like, you know, the, it is about thinking long-term and trying to shift some of those, those belief systems about, not only think about for your child and what kind of mess that puts them in, you know, to be $70,000 in debt with no degree, but also if you take out $50,000 in parent loans, if you, you know, take a, out a second mortgage on your house, if you sacrifice your retirement, there's a 100% chance you're going to retire, right? There's only a 50% chance your kid's going <laughs> to graduate. So you need to make sure that money is there. You know, don't like be dipping into your 401k or dipping into your, you know, your, your, uh, your retirement plan to pay for your child's education. I always tell parents, do not take out debt for your kid's education because, you know, it's just, you have to do it where you can do it with no debt. Because again, you know, the long-term implications are much more painful than, than, the, than the short-term, you know, quote unquote opportunity. So yeah, there's no question. It's, um, it, it, it is tough. I mean, it absolutely is tough. And I've, I've had some tough conversations, you know, with, because again, that guilt is there. And then, you know, you want to do, and plus there's the whole, the Joneses effect, oh, this kid's going here. And so my kid's got to go there. But there's just, there's just all this mythology around college that the name on the piece of paper actually means something. It doesn't, right? Like, you know, it is like, you can cite less than 1% of actual, and this is the biggest thing that people don't understand. It's like, you know, I've, I've, I've met with, you know, employers and, 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 and work with recruiters for the last 20 years. You know, it's about, does the kid have the grades? Do they have the, the work ethic? Do they have the, you know, maybe the recommendations from the professor? Like that name on a piece of paper means so little except in like less than 1% of, of, of jobs. And, th- and this is what I always say to people. I say, all right, when you, last time you went to your doctor, right? So think about the last time you went to your doctor. Did you go to the doctor and say, whoa, 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 before you operate on me, um, what, where'd you go to school, right? Hey, you never asked that question, right? It's just like, look, you're a doctor. I trust that you can do the job, right? So, you know, there's so, it's such a small percentage of, 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 of jobs in this country where the name on a paper, piece of paper actually makes a difference. And that's what people don't realize. I mean, there's a stat that says, you know, 80% of Fortune 500 CEOs went to in-state schools for their undergrad, right? So there's this mythology that they're all, they're all going to the Columbias and the, and the Yales. And, and like, no, that's not the case. They'll start, you know, undergrad in-state, maybe for grad school, they'll get their MBA from like, you know, a, a big name school. But even then it's like the, um, it, so it really is about, it, it, it's some deep work that has to happen of, of changing perceptions, changing realities. And that's the mission that I'm on. And I feel like that's why God put me here, you know, is, is, is to be on this, this, you know, this 
carried his torch for, you know, for, for, uh, for changing the, the narrative around college and what it means, because again, financially, uh, you, just, you just see the nightmare stories on the other end. So talk to us more, like how, what prompted you to write this book and tell us like what the inspiration of actually putting pen to paper and actually creating a book, because a lot of people have a book within them. And I will say yeah. this, there are sure. a lot of people that are listening right now that have a, an amazing story, but they right. don't actually put the pen to paper and do the work. Yeah. So what inspired you to put that pen to the paper and release this book? Sure. Um, well, I, so actually, again, I've been speaking for, you know, for you know, 20 plus years and you realize that when you're speaking, you can only impact so many people, right? Because you can only impact the people that you're in front of. You know, you give a presentation. I mean, you know this as a trainer, right? It's just like, hey, you're, you're the group that's right in front of you, okay, you impact them. But there's millions that you, you're not reaching, right? And so what the book does, it says, okay, now that it's out there, it's on Amazon, anybody, like the world becomes my audience. And so it allows you almost like to really duplicate yourself, you know, in a way where it's like, hey, if you can't hear my words, physically, okay, you can read these words and let that, you know, be, um, have an impact on you. And, you know, they always say, you know, the richest place in the world is the graveyard, right? Because in the graveyard, you have books that were never written, you know, music that was never written, plays, you know, what, what have you. And, and for me, I knew that I didn't want to go to my grave with my music still in me, right? And it was like, I had to get this out because I'm so passionate about it, because this is what, you know, I love to do. It's like, you know, you just got to sit down and, 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 and get it done. I mean, yeah, and it, it was, it was a process, right? Cause you're like, all right, I'm up, I'm going to, I'm living in Panera, you know, cause they got the best Wi-Fi right on my computer every day, just knocking it out, knocking it out. Right. You know, but it was, um, but it was just something that I had to do because, you know, when you look back at, you know, I remember uh, listening to, you know, to Tony Robbins, um, uh, it was an infomercial like three o'clock in the morning. And I remember him saying, he was like, when you're 75 years old and you're sitting in your, like your rocking chair or whatever, you're not going to look back at your life and think about the things that you did. You're going to think about the things you didn't do, right? You're going to think about like the regrets that you have. And it's like, you never want to have regrets about what you didn't accomplish or what you didn't do. So I'm like, you know what? That's why I try, try, try to live my life. It's like, I'm not going to have any regrets. And so, you know, so getting this book out and now starting the college consulting business, the coaching business, you know, where I can now like reach even more people across the country because, you know, I'll be like, you know, having ads on Facebook and it, I can, I can really have, I can have clients, you know, in California, I can have clients, you know, around the world um, with the coaching because it's all online coaching, you know, you got, you got to get your message out there and, and look back and say, Hey, you know, I made my mark, you know, I did what I could, you know, um, and I tried to just make a ripple, you know, in, in the world, because I think, and that, that's so important. And, and that's what you're doing with this podcast. I mean, you know, when I heard you were doing this, I was like, wow, that is, amazing, <laughs> like on so many levels. I mean, you know, just again, to talk about, you know, the importance of golf and, and what it means and, and, um, and, and, and again, just the access and exposure that it gives. And that, that was kind of, you know, part of my journey too. Um, you know, we can, you know, get into the golf piece on, you know, just why I started playing golf and, 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 you know, because of Tiger Woods, right. And, and like the impact that he made on my life. And so I was like, I just want to be able to have some of that impact with what I you know, love to do, you know, for others. And, 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 and this is kind of, this is, this is my work. You know, this is my journey. Thank you. And that was a perfect segue to talk about golf. So obviously this podcast is about the intersection of business life and golf and all things. And sure. you and I met at a golf tournament, which mm -hmm. was designed to help young ladies develop. And yep. I, I feel like these things are serendipitous, but yes. you started to tell us your story and your journey. How did you get into golf? Like when was your first entry into the game? Sure, sure. So um, and I, and I love talking about this cause I absolutely love golf, you know? So, um, so I was one of those kids, I was, I was a senior in college. I was at Morgan in 97 when Tiger Woods won the masters. And for me, I had never seen a black person play golf. I'll be, be straight up honest. I did not know black people. I thought it was a rich white sport. 
the only the only thing I knew about golf, uh, LJ, was uh, when I was a kid growing up in Plainfield, there was um, a golf course that, you know, about 10 minutes from where I live called the, the Plainfield West Nine. It had this massive hill, like this crazy large hill. And that's where we went sledding. <laughs> In the, in the wintertime, right? Like, it, it was like, had this, this was one of the, the one of the, the bunkers I knew, I find out now, I find was a bunker. We used to jump off the bunker and you go flying for like 30 feet in the air. And it was, and it was all in the downhill. So it was awesome. But that's all I knew about golf. I was like, oh, that's where we go sledding, right? So when Tiger won the Masters, I was like, man, this is really cool. So what happened was at being at Morgan State, um, so Earl Graves, um, who was the founder of Black Enterprise Magazine, one of the most important publications, you know, in our history, he was a, he's an alumni of Morgan, so he went to Morgan. And that, that year in 97, um, he had given a million dollars to the business school. And so they renamed the business school the Earl G. Graves School of Business and Management at Morgan State. And so I actually was fortunate enough to graduate as the first valedictorian of the Earl G. Graves School of Business, right? So that, that, that May of 97, I graduated valedictorian. And he asked me to come work for him that summer. He was like, you know, I want you to come work for me. So that summer, I did an internship for Black Enterprise. And I was working as an intern for an annual event that they did called the Black Enterprise Golf and Tennis Challenge, right? And so they used to do it every year down in Miami at the Doral. So again, I had never played golf. So my first, this is a true story. My first golf, it's the first time I ever picked up golf clubs. I played the Blue Monster at Doral. That was my first golf experience, right? And I, I, I wrote down every stroke and I shot a legitimate 115. The first time, you know, playing out. So, and, and after that, LJ, I was done. Like it just completely, the, the bug was in me. I was hooked. I was, you know, and, and I've been playing, you know, for 24, 24 years now ever since. And it was funny, but what's was crazy about the first time, me first time playing um, Miami or Doral, the problem with that is the next time I played, I, I came back home and I was playing with my, bu my buddy in Brooklyn at Marine Park Golf Course. And I was like, this isn't rough. <laughs> I like, you know, so, so that comparison between like that pristine golf course and like the local track in Brooklyn was just two different things. But, but yeah, like I said, I've, I've tried to, so literally since then I, I play as much as I can, you know, as you know, it, it's a work in progress forever. Uh, still trying to get good, you know, and, you know, so I'm like, you know, high eighties, low nineties now, if I'm playing well, cause you just don't have the time. You just don't have the time to just play all the time. And, but that's my mission or, my, my goal in life actually is to play golf on every continent, you know? And so we'll talk about some of, you know, the, um, the, you know, the, the stories or coolest experiences. Like I played in Egypt. Like one of my coolest experiences, I actually have a shot of me, uh, you know, hitting the ball and, and the pyramids are behind me. So that was like, cause it's literally a nine hole golf course right behind the pyramids of Egypt. That was really cool. So you know, I played Pebble beach, which is like a, a, a complete bucket list item. Every golfer has to play Pebble beach before you leave this earth. So yeah, I, you know, I absolutely love the game and, and with what I want to do, and so you, you said we met at the tournament where, you know, that helps um, uh, young people, you know, that's, it's the perfect intersection. Like, all I want to do is be a philanthropist to give scholarships to kids, you know, as part of these golf tournaments, you know, sponsor these tournaments and, and give scholarships where kids can go to school, like, with no debt, because that's what, you know, these golf tournaments are trying to do for these kids is give them scholarships to, you know, reduce that cost of, um, so it literally is like the perfect intersection with everything that I love. So, yeah, this is, this is where I am. Right. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I, am I talking too much? I can, I can no. go on this all day, man. It's no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs>
this podcast is to just get people the um, ability to understand how everything kind of ties together and everything is serendipitous. And it's interesting because the, the second I was muted, I thought that I had turned my phone off for all things, but it was not fully on Do Not Disturb. Okay. But the, the person that introduced me to the Black Enterprise Golf and Tennis Challenge was actually just calling me. And oh, really? it, it is an amazing event and they had transformed it. And then, you know, with the passing of uh, Mr. Graves, yes. there are a lot of things that have changed in that space. But the reality is it's still golf is still the place to kind of meet and network and, and work with people. So okay. now there was one other thing you started to mention, um, giving scholarships. And one of the things you had shared with me was really talking about getting kids into golf early. So yeah. what about that is important to you? I mean, obviously I believe it, but there's a whole sure. <laughs> Yeah, no question. So, you know, so I think about my own experience and I think about the fact that I didn't start playing golf until I was 20. Right. And I didn't, you know, didn't wasn't exposed to it until I was 20. And how different, I mean, not saying my life would be significantly different, but just how much better it would have been if I started playing when I was, you know, five, six, you know, seven years old. And first of all, how much better I'd be but, you know, as a player, but you know, but also just again, having access and exposure to all the things that golf allows. And so, you know, one of um one of the things I really want to do, you know, I actually, you know, I worked for the first tee for I volunteered for the first tee for a little bit. Um, I, you know, I've uh, there was another program called um, TGA that I was like a, a, an instructor, you know, to, oh, and there goes my phone. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So sorry about that. Um, uh, yeah. And, and so that's what I want to be able to do is, you know, bring golf to kids at a much earlier age. Right. And just say, hey, look, you know, put these clubs in your hand, you know, just 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 get out there, start hitting some balls, just just get accent exposure to it because you never know like what they can lead to and, and who you can become, you know, down the road. Um, and, and, and like I said, just the opportunities that it, it will allow you to have. So, so I love organizations like the first tee, you know, um, like I said, there's one in Newark, New Jersey, which is you know, where I play, you know, a lot of my golf at Weekway Golf Course. And, uh, you know, and I try to just, you know, just volunteer and just and donate clubs and, you know, and, and just, and just, just give as much access as possible. And so whatever resources that I can, you know, uh, accumulate, I want to put the majority of those resources into, I'm sorry, into playing, uh, you know, into allowing kids to have that opportunity to, um, to play and just, and just really love, you know, love the game um, and, and start the game early. So that's, uh, that's, you know, that's another one of my missions, right? So, so scholarships and, and, and kids playing golf, it's like, that's, uh, you know, that, that's who Nashville Field is. Okay. Okay. And for the people that aren't as familiar, tell us about how you are building relationships on the golf course. Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, and, and you know, this, obviously, you know, golf is just, as a way to, uh, you know, you're spending four to five hours with somebody and you'll get to know people on a golf course in four or five hours better than you know people in your own family. Right. Because you're, like I said, you're talking about the things, first of all, you have this common language, you know, of, of, of this game, but like I said, you'll find out, you know, people's stories and who they are and, you know, and what they, I don't know. Okay. Really this is crazy. okay. Uh, who they are and what they do and, uh, and, and how it affects their life, you know, and that's what you want to be able to, you know, make those connections with. So I've met, like, I've made some of the most amazing relationships on the golf course. One of my, you know, the amazing stories I've had is um, I was, uh, I was playing and I got partnered up. I was just, I was just walking out, you know, I was in Scotch Plains and I just, you know, was just, just going out to play a nine hole called Scotch Hills. And I got partnered up with this guy. He was an 80 year old World War II veteran, right? So for four or five hours, I just heard the most amazing World War II stories. And it's just like, you know, from a white guy, right? It's just like, and where else in life would I get to spend four hours with an 80 year old white guy learning about World War II? Like golf is the only thing that would have allowed us to do that, right? Because it's not like, you know, I'm just walking up to his house or whatever, you know? And so that's, that's what the game does in those relationships. I played last week 
And I met a guy who's like the director of the bookstore at NYU. You know, I got my master's from NYU, right? And so it's just like, we had that connection. And so obviously that could lead to some things in terms of, you know, speaking at NYU or just doing some training, you know, for them. So those relationships that you build, you know, and, and that you connect with, a, with, with this game, it's just amazing. Like, it's amazing. I mean, I can, I have so many, you know, stories of, of people I've gotten to play with, you know, athletes I've got, you know, I was playing down in South Philly and like, you know, Jeremiah Trotter, who used to play for the Eagles, like he happened to be on the course and we played together. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Just, you know, the people that you meet and the relationships that you make um, you know, across this game. And there, there truly is nothing like, like, you're not going to do that on a basketball court. Right. You know, at some point you got to put the basketball you know, shoes down anyway, because you just get hurt too easy. Right. You know, I mean, I love baseball. I'm a Mets fan. Like, I, you know, like I love baseball, but you can't make that same connection playing baseball or basketball or really any other sport. You know, I believe that than golf for sure. I don't know if we should talk about like just the fact that you're a Mets fan, because I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Knicks fan also. And there's just these, you know, trying to be a fan and support these teams. I'm also oh. an Islanders fan. Girl. And I feel like. Please. <laughs> just, I feel like I should just stick to liking golf and just my own game because I can't. You know, well, you know, because it's, it's, you got to find something that you can actually control that you can be happy about because being a Mets fan is just you sign up for a lifetime of suffering. I mean, that's really what it is, right? Because it's like every year you're just suffering with this team. But you know, I was nine in '86, so I'm like, oh, it's going to be like this every year, right? Let's go, right? Because you know, Daryl Strawberry, Doc Good, those are my guys. And, and that's it. I was done. Right. And, and, and you just love a team and, and, you know, and you have a passion for it. And I still play, I play in a, in a you know, I play in a couple of softball leagues. I actually play in a, a hardball, you know, men's league as well. Cause I still love to play the game. Um, but again, you know, it's just, yeah. Being in the Knicks fan, forget about it. Again, I was with those early nineties, Patrick Ewing, you know, John Starks, you know, Anthony Mason, like those, oh, like Charles Oakley, those are my guys. And it's like, they've been terrible for 30 years. And it's just like, Oh, you know, but when you're a fan, you know, you just, you just, but you can't do nothing about it. You just can't control it. But at least with golf, at least, Hey, at least I have some control over what happens. Yeah. I'm going to be mad for four hours. because I can't hit the ball. Right. But it's my fault. <laughs> you know, I know, you know, because I, I hit the ball. You know, I didn't, I didn't even know that fairway bunker was there. Like, you know, how, right? Who put like, that there? Who, who put, put that, that there? there? Right? You know, and just how I mean, that's that's amazing to me, though, the science of golf and and how they they design courses literally to mess you up. Like they put bunkers 250 away because they know that people are going to hit the ball 250 into the bunker. Like, you know, it's like, why on every hole is there a bunker 250 on the right-hand side? Because they know most people are slicing their ball into the bunker 250. So the, the science that goes behind it is just amazing. And, it, you know, it just teaches you so much about life and, and patience and, you know, and focusing on, you know, you focus on the big things. Like I say, driving for show, putting for dough, right? You got to focus on the, the, the little things, the details that make the difference versus the, um, versus the, uh, I am, <laughs> I think it's driving me nuts. I don't know why I can't get this thing to turn off. Uh, oh, there we go. There it's silent. Okay, now it's All right, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's the greatest game ever. You know, and like I said, I wish I started playing earlier and, be, and because of the access, you know, that it, the opportunities that it's brought me, um, and, and just, uh, the people that I've met, you know, people like you and relationships that I'll have, like, we'll be connected forever now. Like I know, right? <laughs> you, know, just, you know, there's so many things we have in common and we, you know, how else would we have met us, but sitting at this, you know, at, at lunch at a golf, you know, uh, uh, golf outing. Right. So it's just, it's, it's amazing what, what, it, what it does. And, uh, and, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so excited with what you're doing. And I, I would really want to be able to try and bring as many of, of my people to you. Right. So, so you can, you know, um, have access to, you know, uh, the, the, the people that are out there and what they're doing. One of my best friends is the uh, the deputy commissioner of the NBA, Mark Tatum, right? And he's a big time golfer, right? And, and you know, and so he needs to be on his podcast. I mean, people just need to know, you know, what this 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 podcast is and what you're doing to really just, you know, get this message out there because it's so important. Oh, it's such thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I, 
well, you have to share with everyone. You had some epic golf weekend or something you were mentioning. I and did. I think that people don't understand, like once you have the bug, there are these experiences that start to happen that no one can explain. Right. And they, you know, they, they kind of transform you as well. So tell the audience about like what an epic golf weekend sounds like. Because so, they might so- not know. Right, absolutely. Well, so it, it was a sports weekend, actually, right? So um, for um, for my birthday in 2016, um, so I flew out to uh, to California, to San Francisco, um, and a buddy of mine who, um, uh, my best friend from college, he uh, his family's from Vallejo. So like, so his, his mom was out there. So I, so I had, you know, so I had Thanksgiving dinner, like with his mom, like out, you know, out, out there in, in California. And then uh, Friday, um, my buddy who works for the NBA, like, you know, he got me tickets. The Warriors were at home. So they were, you know, go say Warriors. So they were at home. So he got me great seats, right? So I'm sitting, you know, like darn near courtside at the, at the Warriors game, right? And this is like, this is like right before they took off and got really, really, you know, good, right? You know, so, uh, so that was 2016. Then 20, then Saturday, I uh, did a, um, uh, like a, uh, like a full day tour of San Francisco. You know, like went to, you know, the Alcatraz and, and, you know, saw the sea lions. I mean, it's like an amazing city, San Francisco. Sunday, my, a buddy of mine who lives out there has um, season tickets to the Raiders. So they were home, right? And this is when they were in Oakland. So I went to a, a Raiders game, sat on the 50 yard line. I mean, that, and so you talk about bucket list, you got to go to a Raiders game. Well, I know they're in Vegas now, but that, there's that tailgating outside of Oakland Stadium, there's like nothing like it. I mean, you know, Coliseum was crazy. Just, I mean, they are serious about their Oakland Raiders. So that was amazing. So then, then Sunday night, drove down about two hours to Monterey. And actually, on my birthday, it was Monday, November 28th. I play at Pebble Beach, right? Actually, on my birthday, and I mean, LJ, you talk about, like I said, just literally every shot is just a godlike experience because I mean, every shot is just so majestic, you know. And you're right there on the Pacific Ocean, and you're seeing like these amazing views. And they call it the the Gold Coast because it's like the most expensive real estate in the country or in the world is actually right on right down there. And so, like, we're playing with these guys who like they play you know quite a bit on Pebble Beach and we're coming down the ninth hole and they're like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's Harrison Ford's house right there. Like what? <laughs> like, you know, like a $20 million house just sitting off a golf course, right? And like literally every house there, the, the minimum price of the house is like $3 million, right? That was like, that was like the, the, the ghetto of, you know, <laughs> of Pebble Beach is like a $3 million house, you know? And so, yeah, so to, to have that experience like on my birthday and play at Pebble Beach, um, it, it's something I'll never forget. And actually on the seventh hole, that, 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 uh, that very famous par three, when you're like shooting like down the hill and it's like right off the water. Like I literally put the ball like 10 inches from the cup. Like I almost had my first hole in one at Pebble Beach, you know? And so I still don't have a hole in one yet. We are like that as well. You know, we, we have that in common. We are still waiting for our first hole in one. I heard your podcast about that. <laughs> so, uh, so me too, I'm, I've, I've been close a couple of times, but I haven't you know, gotten there. But yeah, that was just an epic, just, you know, I'm again, I'm a sports junkie. So as far as a sports fan, as a golf fan, there was just nothing better. And um, yeah, I definitely want to get back to, to play because actually, this is, you know, it's, it's a little morbid. I actually want my ashes spread over the 18th green. <laughs> like, that's how bad it is for me. Like, literally, it's like, you know, I'm good because I know I will always exist off of Pebble Beach. Like, <laughs> like I would be cremated and I want to be just my ashes just thrown into the ocean off of the 18th green. That, that's, uh, and I'm good. <laughs> 
I feel like, so it is very morbid. And um, I kind of have that in common because I was like, oh, if they take my ashes to all the golf courses I never played, I could just kind of like be there, yeah, but not right. be there. Right. But <laughs> let's talk about something a little bit more positive. <laughs> yes, um, yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Back to the book and just to the <laughs> conversation. So this season is kind of, um, the focus of this season of the podcast is called Gems. And really like if we were giving advice to friends or just talking to friends, things that we would tell them. And as I think about like just your your book and the work that you're doing, there are some, a lot of misconceptions that people have about college, especially if they haven't been on the journey themselves. So I right. recognize that many people in my family couldn't give me the advice that I needed because they didn't have it to give to me. Sure. So as you start to think about, and then there are some people that have all of the experiences, but don't know how to impart it to their children and to their family members. Yeah. So as we start to think about just next steps and things forward, going forward, what would you tell families about the misconception about private college versus public state schools? Because I think that there's like a branding issue yeah. there. Right. Well, sure. I mean, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. You know, it's it's people. There's this assumption that, you know, the, that the name on the piece of paper like actually is going to lead to more. It's going to ha- help you make more money. Princeton University actually did a study, LJ. They, they, they compared the starting salaries of people who got accepted to Ivy League schools, but but then decide to attend lesser known schools versus people who graduate from Ivy League schools. And they found there was no difference, right? So so literally it has nothing to do with where you graduate from. It's about, you know, again, the, the skill set you have, the you know, the knowledge base, you know, doing well, the networking you make, you know, with your professors, things like that. So that's the biggest you know, misconception that I want people to understand is that, you know, it's not about the name on the piece of paper. It's about getting the education from, you know, from a quality university. I mean, there aren't many just bad universities out there. Like, you know, like if you go to an in-state school, like I said, you know, we're, you know, you're in New York, I'm in New Jersey, you know, the, the in-state schools here are amazing schools, right? And and, and you'll, and again, you've, you, so if you compare a, a marketing degree or a, a communications degree, or, you know, I got my, you know, my degree in marketing from, you know, let's say I'm in Jersey, I'm Montclair State, you know, versus Seton Hall, like, there's no difference in terms of the actual education, right? But Montclair State costs, you know, again, 15,000 versus Seton Hall costs 60,000. So it's just, that's that's the biggest misconception I want people to understand is that, look, you, you know, you have to say, hey, you know, there's no reason to go into debt. There's no, there's no justification for it because, you know, you can work a part-time job, right? You get a part-time job, you work 20, 20 hours a week, 10 bucks an hour, that's $10,000 a year. That'll cover about 90% of your tuition at an in-state school. So to say that, oh, I don't have the money for it, it's just, it's just not true, right? It's just not a, a reality when you actually look at the numbers and, and you live at home, right? Okay, maybe you, can, you can't live on campus and have like the whole college you know, life experience, but that's not what it's about. It's about what can I afford so that I can come out of this with a degree and not this anchor or this this ball, you know, or to cover my book as a, a chain, right? You know, you, uh, hanging around my, you know, my my ankle that I'm going to have to now pay back this, you know, decision that I've made for the next 20 years for a decision that I made for four years, right? And so, and then not only that, but we also talk about the, the, how you choose a major, right? You know, so many of our kids, man, and I would speak at high schools for years, and like, if I heard one more kid tell me that they were going to major in criminal justice, let me tell you something, I was going to jump off a bridge, right? Because, you know, that's when like law and order was big, CSI. So they all think that there's, you know, that that's what, you know, uh, life is like, what they see on TV, right? You go, you know, to a crime scene, oh, there's a hair, dum, 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 some music plays back. No, like, you know, being in a lab, you know, when you're in your criminal justice, like you're sitting in a lab for 20 hours a day looking at, you know, hair samples, this is not cool stuff, right? So, and, and, and not like that, 
it's not only that it's not what you see on TV, which is how they choose a major, but also when you think about, again, there's only a finite number of jobs, right? You know, in a field. So if you got 80,000, I said, I said, majoring in criminal justice is like, you know, going to, going to Target on Black Friday, trying to get a big screen TV, right? Because, you know, it's like 8,000 people trying to get one TV, right? So if you got that many people trying to, you know, get a job in that's such a small field, it's not going to happen. So the two things you got to think about when you choose a major is one, what's the future job market look like for that major? Right. You know, how many opportunities are in that field? Like, don't choose a major just because you think it's cool. Like, hey, can I actually is this is this a return on this investment? Right. So, you know, you know, the, 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 the four biggest fields where the most jobs are, are, are healthcare because obviously we have an aging population, um, education. You have a lot of teachers retiring technology because we know technology is changing all the time and there always some jobs there and accounting. Right. Because everybody needs their money counted. So those are the four hottest fields where the most jobs are. But, you know, I'm getting a, I'm going to major in left handed puppetry. Well, there are no jobs in left-handed puppetry. <laughs> so it's just like some of these majors, these kids tell me, it's just like, wh what are you going to do with that, right? And so that's another, you know, big thing that I educate students on is how to choose a major. You think about two things, your strengths and your interests. What am I good at? And what do I like to do, right? So what natural, you know, strengths do I have? I say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm good at math, but I love sports. So maybe I become an accountant for a sports team. Oh, okay. Now I've, I've, I've done something that I really, you know, enjoy and that I'm good at. And I find what you call your passion, right? Because also you got to find your passion. Your passion is what you love to do. It's what you do for free. You know, I would I would talk for free because this is what I love to do, right? Now I play golf for free. I love to. Now I can't get paid playing golf at this point, but I can get paid for talking, which is what I you know, which is what I do. And so that's how you find what your what your passion is. What am I good at? What do I like to do? And that's a big thing, you know, because again, not only do you need this degree, but you also have to have a degree in something that you know you're going to be able to get a good job in and be successful in, you know, for the next 20, 40 years as well. So the challenge with that is exploration, because even as adults, we are in fields sometimes that we don't have any passion or interest in. Yeah. And I think some of the challenges come with exposure as well. So for yeah. the students that are picking criminal justice, like I have an intern and she selected criminal justice, but right. she knows that she wants to be a detective and work for the like police department. So right. for her, it's like a natural progression into the field that she really wants to be in. But yep. there are a lot of adults that have been working in industries for 10 or plus years that don't actually even like their job and pick yep. the major because it was the best major or the smart major or the thing that everyone was doing at that time. So yep. there are people right now that are considering going into serious debt to get executive MBAs, to right. transform or pivot their career. And they know that, or they feel or believe that only getting a degree in a new space and acquiring all this debt is going to help them. Yep. So I know you're talking to students, but what do you say to those adults that are in these, not dead end jobs, but they are mm -hmm. tired of these jobs? Sure. It's the same thing, right? It's, it's the same thing in terms of, you know, you know, can I afford this, right? And like, uh, you know, I saw a long time, like I'm a big follower, I don't know if you know guy, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's a big time, you know, financial coach. Like I love Dave Ramsey. He says, look, if you don't have the money in your account, you can't afford to do it. This is real simple, right? And so there's no need to go into debt. So it's like, look, you know, yeah, there, there are MBA programs, executive MBA programs, but you got to figure out how can you pay for this in cash? Do I need to take longer? Do I need to, you know, again, take, you know, go part-time? You know, it's a way to get it done without burdening yourself with all this debt, you know, that you'll then like have to pay back in the hope that you'll make it back, right? Because you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to like, you know, land you know, a, a job at a consulting firm where you're making 250 a year, right? There's just no guarantee of that. So you got to be smart about how you choose 
you know, the college you go to, whether you're an adult or whether you're, you're 17 years old, it's, you know, it's the same thing, right? You know, the, 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 the lesson, math doesn't lie, right? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and the lesson still applies the same way. Um, and and to, to your point, the, the, the biggest word you said there about your, you know, the uh, work is an intern. I say internships are huge. I talk to people about, you got to get an internship to find out is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life, right? Because, you know, I used to want to be a lawyer. So when I was in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer because there was a show called L.A. Law. And it came on Thursday nights, NBC. Yo, this is like the hottest show ever. And that's what I thought court was like, people banging on tables, crying on the witness stand. Well, I had an internship at the county prosecutor's office and I got to work with lawyers, you know, it was in the, um, the prosecutor's office. So I got to work with lawyers, look at evidence. I also got to visit trials. First trial I went to LJ was a double murder trial. You know, I'm 16 years old. I'm thinking it's going to be the greatest thing ever. That was the most boring experience in my natural life. I mean, I must have fell asleep a hundred times. Like, it's like, it's nothing like this on TV, but I'm glad I had an experience because if I hadn't done that, I would have gone, majored in pre-law, gone to law school and realized that I hate it. So the fact that, you know, that you're, you know, your intern is getting that experience to find out, is this truly what I want to do, right? Talk to somebody, take, you know, find out the person that, that, that's doing what you think you want to do and, and find somebody who's doing it. Say, hey, can I take you to lunch? You know, can I just interview you, right? You know, just can you can you just help me? And the thing is, when you're 17, people actually want to help you. When you're 25, they don't want to help you no more. Right? So it's like you gotta have to figure it out by that, right? So you know, when you're when you're in your high school age, it's a great time to just say, hey, can I just come sweep up your floors? Can I can I you know can I file your you know do your file cabinets? Get that experience of what it's like to be in that job to see is this what I really want to do for my life, right? And so yeah, it's fine to major in criminal justice. I'm gonna say if you know, okay. I know what the, what the field is. I know exactly what I want to do. I know the track. I, I, I've spoken to people about it. Yeah, I got no issue with it, but I'm saying, but you got, but the, the issue with the whole criminal justice thing is that people just do it for the wrong reasons. If you do it for the right reasons, like I said, you got the internships, you got the experience. Yeah, that's absolutely no problem. So, so on both sides, you know, even for adults, hey, you know, find out, I mean, I know it's, it's a little bit harder, but, you know, find out, is this truly what I want to do? What's the path to get to where I want to go? You know, you got, it's, it's like a GPS, right? You're going to put in that GPS, that GPS is going to tell you, okay, what's my best path to get there? A lot of people, they just look at the starting point. They don't look at the finish line or the steps in between. And, and, and they'll just, again, they'll just, they'll just throw, you know, throw all caution to the wind and go into this debt, hoping that it's going to work out. You don't get into your car, hoping that you'll end up where you want to go, right? You know, like, no, you're going to, you're going to set your, 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 your GPS about this is the direction I got to take the GW and it's going to take me to whatever. Right. You know? And so it's the same thing with your career, you know, and you're, you're smart about how you do it. Like you have to set that GPS and, and planning and thinking about what the cost is and what the return is, 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 is one of the best ways to do that. Okay. So if people, so, okay. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. And so as, as we're thinking about the people that might be listening that are considering the executive MBAs, and this will be my final question on that part. Sure. At that point, does the institution matter? Because now we're talking about a specific thing, like this executive MBA is usually tied to name and brand. And I, I don't even know that, I don't know, I've not done any research on them. Like, do they add the value? Is there a return on investment? But in that case, these programs are like upwards of $150,000. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. No, I mean, and again, I, I don't believe so, right? Because I mean, you see advertisements that, you know, at Rutgers, you know, for example, New Jersey has one of like the top, you know, executive MBA programs, you know, in, in the area or in the country. And again, that's a, that's a state school, like versus, you know, uh, have friends, you know, who are Harvard MBAs, right? And, and again, nothing wrong with Harvard. It, and, and, and that's another thing I, I like to make really clear, because a lot of people think, oh, Nash, you got this issue with expensive schools. I have no issue with expensive schools. If you got $250,000 in scholarships, go wherever you want to go, right? If your parents got like that and like, here, write a check, go have fun. Fine. No issue with that. I'm saying don't go into massive debt 
to go to this school that costs way more because you think that you're going to make more money on the other end. Because LJ, you know, we've been around long enough to know there's a thing, little thing called Murphy's Law, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, things do not work out as you plan them to in your life, whether it's personally, professionally, you know, we, we all have dreams and visions of how we think things could go. And then life is like, yeah, that's what you thought, right? And so your life takes complete different turns. And, and, and so that's, you know, that, that's the whole thing about it. It's like, look, you know, and, and what debt does, it just, again, it just, it, put, it shines this bright light on your stupidity. That's what it does, right? I mean, even you know, again, buying a sixty thousand dollar Range Rover that you can't afford, right? You got a seven hundred dollar car payment, you know, and, and you make forty grand a year. I mean, just even though those those financial decisions, it just it shines a light on the folly of that decision when you go into debt. And and again, because education is perceived that oh, if you get my education, I'm smarter, but you still have to be smart about how you get your education. And that that that's that's the key thing I'm I try I'm trying to get. The message out there is that you got to be smart about how you make these choices because they do have long-term impact. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And it's funny you say that because when I was in school, I went to a private institution. And if I would know, if I would have known then what I know now, we used to say, I think I'm a walking Range Rover. Like I could have a Range Rover right now. (laughs) My debt is so high. I could be the car. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. And they talk about making bad decisions. And then you start to make decisions related to paying off that debt instead of living your best life and right. experiencing life. And so it's a, it's a very important conversation. So now, as we, you know, get ready to wrap up for this uh, podcast, yeah. if you were to tell people like how to get in contact with you, should they follow you? Um, they obviously can go on to Amazon and the link will be in the, um, the, sh- the show notes. They can buy the book, but then other ways to engage with you and kind of learn more about the business and the coaching that you're doing. Are you doing sure. classes? Like, tell us more about what you're working on. Yeah. So the name of the company that I'm launching is called Zero Debt College Planners. Right. Pretty, pretty, pretty obvious what the, what the, what, the, what it's about is, is I'm coaching parents on how to plan and go to college with zero debt. Right. And so all the things that we've been talking about today, how do you drill down deeper? How do you have those conversations with your child? You know, how do you do you pick a major and, and how do you lay out these schools and say, all right, this costs this, this costs this. You know, what's the best decision? And so that you're not just making, you know, you know just a decision like you're kind of willy nilly. So or even again, um, I have one of my um, one of the, the, the people on my team. Uh, he was a guidance counselor for 30 years, right? Or a director of guidance for 30 years. So he can coach the um, parents on how to get into the college they want. And then I take over where it's like, all right, now we, this is where you want to go. Let's talk about how we're going to pay for it you know, with no debt, right? And so, uh, so basically it's an eight-week you know, online coaching program. Um, and, uh, and the best way to um, find out if you're a fit, you know, because you know, I want to talk to you to see, hey, what, what's the best, you know, does this really make sense, is uh, you can go to zerodebtcollegeplanning.com backslash apply zero debt college plan.com backslash apply. And that's just, it's basically a, a question form that'll, you know, give me some information about you, your, your, your family, what your goals are. And we'll get on the phone and have a conversation just to see if it's a fit to work together, you know, as, 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 as a coach and as a client. Right. And so again, it's not for everybody, but at least, you know, you'll have a, a good perspective. You know, we get on the phone for about 45 minutes or so to say, all right, this is my goals. This is what I want to do. And, you know, how can we best do that in a way that's going to, you know, get you to a place where you can do that without burdening yourself, you know, with this massive debt, right? And so, um, so just from the conversation that determines if you, you know, if, if we get into the coaching program, but at least that's the entry point. So zerodebtcollegeplanning.com backslash apply uh, is where, you know, they can fill out the form and we'll, we'll uh, get on the phone and have a conversation and, you know, and, and see if it works. And so, like I said, I'm just, my mission is just to try to get this message out to as many people as possible. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's, it's a long journey ahead. 
you know, I always say, uh, you know, two two people that never have to worry about, you know, uh, going out of business is is Jenny Craig and debt co- and debt coaches. Right? Well, and, and funeral directors too. Funeral That's directors right. are never right. going to go out of business. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. always never go out of business, right? So you know, um, but it's just you know, but in terms of just people making changes, right? You know, again, it's about changing the perception. You know, health coaches are about changing how we eat. You know, financial coaches about you know changing how you know we we, we look at money and decisions that we make around that. And so, um, and so that, that's really what, you know, what, the, what my goal with the coaching program is, 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 is to do is to just, you know, bring as many people into the fold and educate them. And so then that starts a ripple effect. And now they, they tell their friends and their friends. And then hopefully, like, my goal is one day that there will be no student loan crisis, right? Because, again, it. It, it is a crisis, you know, and it's something that, you know, people don't talk about as much. Anything now you hear this whole thing about, you know, Biden canceling debt because people have made these decisions and they're looking for, you know, a way out. And it's like, just, well, don't get into the trap in the first place, right? That's what I'm trying right. to do. Like, can I get students at reparations? How does that work? <laughs> Exactly. I want my money back. You know, but, I, don't okay. a, I don't need a mule. I need 40,000 written off. That's what I need. <laughs> exactly. But wait, let's talk about just one more thing. Yeah. How soon should parents start um, approaching you for this coaching program? Is it the freshman year for the kids? Are there like how? I'm, I'm, what ma- age? I'm mainly focusing on juniors and seniors because that's really when you're in that college planning phase, right? So, like the first two years, you know, you're just thinking, okay, get my grades right, you'll do well, you know, um, academically. Um, you know, you know, make sure, make sure you're involved in clubs and activities, make sure, you know, you're getting your resume strong, you know, that's, that's what freshman and sophomore year high school about junior and senior year really are about, you know, okay, now, okay, I'm thinking about where I'm going to go to college. So that's who my main focus is, is families of uh, high schools, juniors and seniors. And, um, and, and that, that's when like, you know, junior year is a great time to really start having that conversation around. All right, this is what we're going to do. And, and this is what we can afford. So now when senior year comes and you start applying, you're applying based on, the knowledge that you have you know, around where it makes the most sense to go, right? And I'm never going to say eliminate a school because again, you can get, if you've got great grades, you've got great SAT scores, you know, you can get full scholarships, right? Those do still exist, you know, that, um, that are out there. But uh, from a standpoint of, you know, you still need to start that planning process as, as early as possible. Okay. And then one last hard question. Yeah, sure. If mm-hmm. the parents are single parents versus a dual parent household, does yeah. that change the conversation or the timing which it should start? Um, it, it doesn't change the conversation. It just, it, 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 it exacerbates how even more important it is that you're, you're talking to your kid early, kind of like my mom did. My mom was a single parent, right? And she said, if you don't get a full scholarship, you know, this is what it is, right? So it's early. You got to have that conversation early that, hey, there's only a certain amount of money that's in this pot and I'm not, you know, going into debt. I'm not sacrificing my retirement. I'm not, you know, again, taking out a second mortgage or whatever, so we have to, you know, be very strategic around how we, you know, we make this college choice. And so, again, so it's more important for single parents to have those conversations with their children about the importance of their grades and letting their grades pay for their education potentially. Um, and, and again, getting involved in, in organizations like, you know, AKA and, and you know, that, that have those, those scholarship organizations, right? The scholarships that they offer and finding out about all the scholarships that are, that are available. Because it really is a three-pronged approach. It's about the school you choose. It's about getting as many scholarships as possible. And it's about working, right? Those kind of like the three-pronged approach to paying for college with no debt, you know? So, because um, there, again, there are a lot of scholarships out there. They just, again, don't apply for everything. I'll say apply for a thousand scholarships. You know, you'll get 30 of them, but those 30 will, you know, will pay for your education, right? And so, uh, and so again, hopefully, you know, my, you know my, again, my goal, again, is obviously to be able to one day just be like, hey, you know what? Here's a check for you. Go to college, you know, with no debt. You know, that's, 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 that's the vision. That's, that's the big dream. Okay, that's the Oprah mode. You get a check, that's and, right. you get a check right. and you get a check. You get a check. You 
Let's go. That's right. right. Well, thank you so much, Nash, for sharing your vision, sharing your company and the work that you're doing with our audience. And all of the information will be in the um, show notes. So they'll be able to reach out to you. And um, thanks for joining us on Tease Me. Yeah, and, and LJ, and thank you again for doing this. Thank you for who you are and, and just your passion. And because, you know, honestly, I've, I've never met anybody like you. <laughs> you know, I was just listening when you told me, Joe was like, what? I think I, think, I think I just met the female version of me. <laughs> I said what I said to myself. I was like, man, we literally are like the same person. So, yeah, so it was just, a, just great meeting you. And, and thank you so much for, you know, for having me on. And uh, anything that you know, we can do in the future to, uh, to really get and continue this message about golf and, and business and what it does, um, I'm more than happy to help. Thank you. So there you have it. Another episode where we're sharing gems on how to improve yourself, your lives, or the lives of people around you. And if you were listening closely, you heard Nash share the richest place in the world is the graveyard. Because in the graveyard, you have books that were never written, music that was never written, and plays. The other richest person is probably Sally Mae and Freddie Mac. So if you want to avoid college debt, then book an appointment with Nash and check out what he has to say. On another note, I'd like to dedicate this episode to the legacy and the memory of Biz Marquis. Talk about music written. He impacted and transformed the music world as far as I know it, to the point where I thought that I could beatbox. And I'm going to save you that pain because this microphone is not really made for that, but I know that everyone was inspired to try to make the music with their mouth. So thanks for joining us on another episode of Tease Me.